Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. In business, leads often conjure images of endless list, cold calls, and mass emails. According to a recent study, 79% of all B2B leads don't convert to sales, emphasizing the importance of quality over quantity. In addition, B2B buyer behavior has shifted towards a B2C-like experience. They leverage information, proactively look for relevant content, and expect customized offers. On this episode, Mark Osborne, author of Are Your Leads Killing Your Business and founder of Modern Revenue Strategies, joins the show to discuss strategies for generating high-quality leads, understanding your customer, and maintaining a laser-focused approach to your offerings. Grab a copy of my new book, Customer Transformation. This is your essential guide for customer success in the digital age. Learn how to adapt to your customers' ever-evolving needs and revolutionize your business strategy to achieve sustainable growth. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my website. And to support the show, visit chrishood.com show, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. Access granted. It's the Chris Hood Digital Show, where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one. Your digital evolution starts now. Here's your host, Chris Hood. Welcome to the show. Mark, would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. Hi, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, my name is Mark Osborne. I work with early stage SaaS tech and B2B services firms, basically companies that are uh, working with complex buying committees, navigating a long sales cycle. Uh, to close large average contracts. Uh, and I'm generally working with companies in early stage. So they've already got product market fit. So about 500000 or a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Uh, but they're uh, trying to grow. And oftentimes it's hard for companies at that stage to bring in a full-time marketing executive. So I can come in as a fractional CMO uh, and provide that sort of marketing leadership to get them to that next stage of growth. Uh, and in fact, most of our clients... Uh, see a 10x return on their investment with us within uh, the first 90 days of working together, oftentimes doubling their revenues uh, or growth within that time frame. Uh, I wrote a book about uh, some of my concepts called Are Your Leads Killing Your Business, uh, which went to number one in 10 plus categories on Amazon uh, and speaks to a lot of the challenges that these types of businesses navigating these uh, types of situations are dealing with, uh, especially in light of a lot of the changes that happen in the marketplace uh, during the COVID lockdowns and, and since. Uh, and the book is really written in response to how companies can adapt to that modern landscape uh, to really achieve success. So thanks so much for having me. Great. So the book title is pretty interesting. Your leads are killing your business. Where did you come up with that or share the basic principles of that concept? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if any of your Customers that are listening might might find that to be a little bit controversial as a statement because leads are the lifeblood of, of any business. 
but what I have seen uh, over the last you know couple decades of working with companies in this space is uh, the right leads are the lifeblood of your business. And when you're uh, chasing the wrong leads, and there has become this obsession uh, with you know more volume, more volume, growth hacks, and you know silver bullets and gaming algorithms to get more leads. Uh, but what I have seen happen is um, that companies that are using sort of old school tactics uh, are really sort of capturing the worst leads in the marketplace. And, and when I call something the worst lead, you know, that 80-20 rule, 80% of your revenues come from 20% of your customers. And so what you want to do is focus your marketing and sales activities on those 20% of customers that are going to make, uh, make up your 80% of revenues. But if you're using outdated strategies or, or tactics, you wind up, you know, sort of dealing with just the lowest percentage of the marketplace. And these are customers that require a lot of customization to your solution, require a lot of, you know, sort of retooling of the way you uh, sort of deliver. And in fact, pull you further and further away from sort of your long term product buying vision, what the market really wants to buy and what you know is the right solution to deliver uh, for the market. These customers pull you away from that. They don't renew. Uh, they don't refer. They don't provide testimonials. And as a result, it really causes a death spiral for businesses uh, that sort of brings them further and further behind the competition. And when you don't use sort of modern mechanisms of capturing data and using technology to make sense of that data to recognize the best opportunities in the market, um, you're not able to uh, really sort of prioritize those leads that will really grow your business and you treat everyone the same. And, and in that way, your leads could really be killing your business and something that I've seen happen. You touched on a lot of things and I want to come back to how businesses, especially startups, can be positioned away from their primary goals. But if we were to simplify what you just said into an analogy it would be like if you went to Google ads and you just said, I want to display this ad without actually defining what the demographic was. Or if you said, Hey, I want a hundred random people to be put into a room and you don't actually say why they're in the room. And then later you reveal, we want to test out a new taco. Well, half of those people could be vegetarians. Some of them don't like tacos. It's similar to that, but a little bit worse actually. Uh, so instead like, if they said they were vegetarians, you'd easily and you were selling a steak taco, you could easily sort of cut those people out. But what we see businesses doing is because they're not using data around intent or technology to sort of nurture opportunities, they're wasting tons of resources on people that may one day be a customer, um, but they're not ready today. And you're and they're not doing sort of the effective things that would move them through that sort of decisioning process. Uh, and even once they became a customer, they would be the worst customer. But because you don't have effective mechanisms in place to attract the right prospects, those are the only prospects you have. Uh, and so you're re wasting your resources against those, which really distracts you from your core mission as a company. And you were just touching on this. That distraction goes into your product and service definition. This is a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs, small businesses, startups, and definitely in the SaaS market deal with. They have a potential customer who says, yeah, but I really wish you had this feature and we're, oh, let's go add this feature. And that's just distracting you from your ultimate product goals. 
And so many businesses do that and they create these one-off features for one individual without really recognizing or analyzing the data to determine what the mass market is going to be interested in. That's totally right. You've hit the nail right on the head, which is, and, and it comes from this sort of inability to attract the right prospects. Uh, and then this sort of struggle with accelerating them through the decision process so that you're left with just the prospects you have. And so then you feel like you have to uh, build a custom solution. You have to do a, a POC for them uh, where they're then going to break apart your uh, solution, ask you to rebuild it in a custom way for them because you don't have the systems in place to attract those right prospects, those systems in place to move them through the decision-making cycle so that you can actually capture those best opportunities that exist in the market. Well, some of this is also desperation. If I'm a small business, sale, sale, sale. So we're going to sacrifice some areas to get the sale. It's so hard to tell somebody, we don't need the sale. I think there is some balance between telling certain clients no, because they may not be a right fit for what you're trying to build. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, and where that, that ability to tell some clients no comes from is by creating systems that allow you to have really differentiated positioning that you know, magnetically attracts the right prospects to you, to have data-driven processes for qualifying, you know, are they really a good prospect? Are they likely to be a tier one ideal customer or not? And if not, to have the confidence to say, we're not going to work with them or to put them into some sort of a nurture uh, cycle so that they can maintain their relationship with you while they educate themselves, nurture themselves and become ready uh, to become one of those ideal customers uh, that you can then put all of your account-based marketing or one-to-one -one efforts against and, and really get them over the line. Now we're talking about smaller businesses. I spent six years at Google and I saw the same bad practices happening at Google in the attempt to sell technology that may or may not have met a specific customer's needs. Yeah, that's right. It, it goes all the way up. And in fact, in some ways it gets harder. And, you know, I've Spent a lot of my career working with enterprise, uh, working with Google and Meta and Hulu and General Motors and Nike and everybody else. But as they as enterprises get larger, it becomes even harder to focus on well, who really is our ideal customer, uh, and and to really you know dig in on what does our our customer buyer persona look like, uh, and then to you know. Uh, sort of proselytize that across the organization so that everyone's reading from the same sheet music gets even harder as you get bigger. Uh, and so that, but it's the same issues that a, a lot of B2B enterprises are struggling with. So I have a personal opinion here. Obviously, when we think about who our ideal customer is, I understand that there's a lot of what we will call B2B organizations out there. You're selling directly to a business. However, I just wrote a book called Customer Transformation, and in the book, for one chapter, I spell out that really the premise of B2B has to still include the end user. And if you really think about it, even if you say it's B2B, that other business that you are selling to is your customer, and you should treat them no different than a, any other customer. And so is there really a B2B? Because it's still technically still B2C. And 
more so, I think it's B to B to C. Now, how I want to position this is too often, even from a B2B perspective, you are trying to sell a technology to a consumer of that technology. When you are not considering the benefits that that technology is going to provide their customers, that B2B2C, then you're also missing a substantial opportunity here. It's no different than if I was to go and say, hey, you really need this technology because it's cool technology versus going in and saying, you need this technology because your customers are asking for it. And if you deliver it, you're going to grow 10X. Yet we miss this all the time when we stay focused on this B2B concept. You, you triggered two really uh, interesting thoughts for me there. Uh, the first is, you know, Intel inside. Uh, what they did is Intel focused on the benefit to the customer, which was fast processing speeds. And they did such a good job of taking that to the marketplace that it became a demanded expectation. So Intel was obviously a B2B product, but because they thought through what does the end customer care about? They care about name record or name worthy, uh, processing speeds. So they became a, a requirement to be, you know, sort of an upper tier solution uh, as an ingredient in that B2B. Uh, the other thing that you uh, reminded me of and, and made me think of was, you know, we talk a lot with our clients about, although you are selling in a business concept or context, the people on the other end are still people, people making decisions. Uh, and uh, those same sort of interpersonal human characteristics, and, and oftentimes that includes things like emotion, uh, which we like to pretend don't exist in a B2B environment. But in fact, all human decisions are made by emotion. And then we look for logic to back up the decision that we made. Forgetting that in that B2B context is really detrimental to your health. Uh, and in fact, by thinking through uh, and thinking about that, you know, the buying committee and what does your decision maker look like or your technical influencer or your champion and what do they care about on a human level? And then speaking to that in your messaging can really be much more powerful than just, you know, dry logic because unfortunately good ideas don't sell themselves. You have to package it. Yeah. You outlined, you know, anyone who's selling into B2B, they probably have names and terminologies for different people, the shark and the bear and the, all these other things to determine like who is the decision maker. We all understand that there's these lengthy processes and governance boards to approve things. And yet again, we get lost in this process, assuming that it's just void of those emotions. And we know though, that when you not only attach to the human emotions through that sales process, but introduce the outcomes of that potential sale. No CFO in the world is going to say, why are we spending $1 million if we're going to generate $2 million? You get frustrated by that process, but you're not coming in with the right data to back up why that sale can basically accelerate the process if communicated properly. That's right. Well, and, and you hit on a really good point there too of, you know, the CFO has a certain perspective that they care about. The end user that might be your champion in this sort of decision-making committee, they might care about something else. Uh, like the e, what their job is going to be like after they license your particular product or, or service. They don't care if it makes the company any more money. They care that it makes their life easier. Uh, 
Uh, and so by customize, by really understanding your buying committee, you can then customize your messaging to speak to what they care about. The messaging that goes to the CFO can talk about the financial benefits uh, of using the solution or the efficiency that's saved and all those things. The messaging that goes to that end user can talk about how it's going to make their life easier and how it uh, you know sort of facilitates better work. Uh, so really sort of thinking through the mindset of those people that represent the buying committee and then taking your, you know, features, turning them into benefits for each of those people and then aligning your messaging at each stage of that customer journey. That's really what moves the needle. Yeah. And again, I think there's also a relationship, a connection that you have to make that goes to the end user. So we were talking about tacos. Taco Bell does not go out and make its own steak. It's procuring steak from some organization. I don't know who, because I don't care. Because ultimately, as the consumer, I want to go into Taco Bell and have a great steak taco. Because ultimately, what they're trying to do is appeal to that end user. Building the connection between that internal hiring committee and that end consumer so that they can recognize what that connection is will then further help you when trying to build these campaigns internally. That's right. Well, and, and also in the, in the business cons, uh, you know, construct, a, a, a steak taco, if I have a, a less than perfect one, well, there'll be, there'll be another meal tomorrow and I can you know, try, give it another shot. But a lot of times, you know, when businesses are licensing software or technology infrastructure, they're hoping to make a decision that will last at least five years, maybe 10 or more. Uh, and so oftentimes they will really get into, well, where are you getting the beef from and what are the cows fed? Uh, and, and they really get into that because once they make a choice, this is going to be the last steak taco they eat and they're going to eat it every day for the next five years. So they really want to make sure you've got the best cows going into that taco. Uh, and it, just as you smartly identified earlier, those companies that recognize that they are an ingredient uh, in their sort of B2B and that value chain, uh, and then can promote that to that end consumer of the product, uh, really sort of strengthen their relationship, both with uh, their, their you know, direct buyers, as well as the end consumers uh, that are consuming that. It's a great way to look at this. When I was at Google, I spent a lot of times on the, on the sales trail, and my job was basically to come in and tell some pretty stories and help people understand and make those connections. And one of the best companies out there that really utilize technology and, and again, maintaining the food theme is Domino's Pizza. And Domino's has done a fabulous job of recognizing how technology is ultimately going to serve their biggest purpose. They said, look, we're going to change our focus and bring in technology and serve our consumers because they knew that if they serve the consumers correctly, they were ultimately going to sell more pizzas. And oftentimes I would go into a company and share this story about how Domino's Pizza transformed their organization, built a brand new culture, and ultimately served their consumers. The number of times that I had an executive turn and say, yeah, but we're not Domino's if you're asking me this, then you don't understand. You don't get it because it's not that you have to be Domino's Pizza. It's the lessons that you have to learn of what Domino's Pizza was able to accomplish by making those connections to the end consumer that are critical. Yep, that's right. Well, and 
it, you know, using that Domino's pizza example, uh, you're, I'm getting hungry here. Uh, all this talk about food, uh, but using that Domino's pizza example, um, you know, I'll wager that the reason why they leaned into those technologies was because they saw that their customer cared about it. Uh, and and it's, that's the truism uh, that your your customers from Google should have understood, which is technology can really empower uh, uh, delivering against customer objectives in, in some really unique ways. Uh, but it's by understanding the customer and what they need that then drives the going out to the market of, well, what technology do we need? What technology is going to allow us to deliver what the customer is looking for in, in these powerful ways? Uh, and that's the, that's the real exciting part. And I think we can bring this back around to even your book. So we talk about data. That data could be generated from all of these different sources, the end user, the consumer, what are their needs? What are their demands? What are the trends that are happening in the marketplace? What are the trends happening in other industries to then compile it and generate that profile that you opened with that then will generate the right leads for you? That's right. Yeah. And, and you know, you can bring in other, you know, there's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to data today. And so you can bring data in that allows you to understand, you know, the, the factors that are moving certain industries. And so if you're serving businesses within that industry and you can see that, you know, there was a drop in an indices in, you know, the, in their market in the, in the, uh, the stock market that day, perhaps that's some of the motivation that's sending them to market to look for solutions. So what does that mean about the way that you, uh, position yourself and the way that you speak to the way you solve their problems. Uh, other than, you know, like all of those things can really be brought to bear if you're using the right technology to make sense of it. Obviously, everybody wants to talk about artificial intelligence. So how much is artificial intelligence influencing our ability to find the right customer? Artificial intelligence is, is a bit of a misnomer. Uh, I've been really blessed to work with a lot of a lot of data scientists that are doing really amazing things in machine learning and uh, and a lot of sort of advanced you know, machine learning frameworks. Artificial intelligence from the perspective of a sentient uh, computer that's making its own decisions and deciding what information to bring in as part of that decision uh, is, is a, a little more science fiction at this point. What I do see, though, is that there are a lot of great models uh, within the data science framework, machine learning frameworks, uh, recurrent neural networks, neural networks, all, all of those things that you want to use that can help you make sense of the data uh, and help you to say, here's the data source we could use. Does that improve our decision-making accuracy or not? Uh, and even just deciding whether or not to use the data as part of the modeling is something that machine learning can do today, which is, that's really powerful and something that didn't exist not that long ago. I, we're seeing, and, and I actually, I do a lecture at uh, a local college on, you know, sort of machine learning, artificial intelligence and marketing. Uh, and, and I, one of the sort of macro trends that I see is this sort of rise of the citizen coder, uh, which is you don't have to be a, a PhD data scientist anymore to know how to even structure the questions in the way uh, that they can be answered by a machine. You can say, I want to know how to predict if someone is going to buy my product or service. Uh, and then you can, the machine will say, okay, well, what are things you think might influence uh, their likelihood to buy? 
you can say A, B, and C. It'll go out and find data sources for A, B, and C, and then come back and say, looks like A is about twice as important as B, and uh, C doesn't matter at all. You as an expert in your field, does that make sense? Maybe we got the wrong data set. Maybe there's something wrong with the data. Like It can really guide this type of exploration in a way that, that didn't exist that long ago. And, and you have to you know, have essentially no programming knowledge in order to be able to you know, sort of structure those equations. There's still uh, some gap. You still need some of that uh, you know, engineering expertise to handle the data and, and data science expertise to craft the questions in a way that can be answered by the data. Uh, but it's amazing to me how quickly it, it's moving and, and how fast it's going to be available to just the lame person to say, I have a question. I think data can help me answer it. Uh, and those machines are going to be able to do that. Yeah, we saw the citizen developer trend start maybe four years ago and a, a vast increase in what we call no code development, which means you don't actually have to use code. You can communicate what you need in basic language. What you actually touched on, I think, is critical, and that is there's still an element of logic and uh, creativity that has to be put into this. It's one thing to be able to say, look, go out and find me industry trends for the restaurant industry versus I want to find a correlation between how many tacos are sold and how many sprockets are being produced within the healthcare industry. There's much more creativity, I think, I, I said it, than science in terms of developing with natural language how we want to see and express data. And definitely AI is helping in that. But that logic is a skill, quite honestly, that we're missing in a lot of universities because we're so focused on teaching, here's the process, here's the history. But that problem solving and logical assessment to create custom queries is a skill that I think we all desperately need. It's true. And, and it actually, it goes a step further too. I was discussing this with a data scientist friend of mine, you know, PhD, went to a top-notch program and, and then has worked at really sort of the bleeding edge of this space for the, the last several, many years. Um, but what he has described is, is even worse in, in that, you know, very often when someone graduates you know, from a master's or a PhD program in something like data science, their, their first move is, well, let's go work for, you know, a blue chip player. I want to, and unfortunately, when they go to work for a blue chip player, that blue chip player is doing things 10 years ago. Uh, it, it, they're, you know, not quite on that cutting edge. And so then these people are learning the basic concepts in school, coming out of school and then learning really sort of antiquated approaches and then believing that that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, and that that's actually the way that you're supposed to do the job and rising to positions of, you know, sort of leadership. But then companies are even going to earlier startups. He, he was sort of describing it as, you know, there's a there's a whole miss of, you know, people that are given tools and then taught to go creatively apply those tools. Uh, and and there, that's really where there's going to be a real separation between uh, sort of the haves and have nots when it comes to data scientists that know how to be creative uh, versus those that just sort of know how to you know, hammer in a nail. 
I'll give you a stat. It's not a big stat, but it's basically for me personally, every day I receive a request to be on my podcast from an, I'm using air quotes, an expert in artificial intelligence. And, and you know what's funny? This goes full circle to something we talked about earlier is the reason why ChatGPT is creating this sort of seismic shift in the marketplace around AI is because it feels human. Uh, and so it's it's that human nature that allows us to connect with the technology uh, and then to have an emotional component to it uh, and, and to think about it that way and to anthropomorphize it in a way that it becomes really attractive. Uh, and that goes back to that idea of if, even if you're in a business context, it's still a human, still a person that's making a decision. And speaking of connections, how can people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first off, I want to give a, an offer to all of your uh, listeners. For actually, the first 50 uh, that go to modernrevenuestrategies.com slash free download. Copy of my book is there uh, with a number of calculators, templates. Uh, I'll even send some follow-up videos where I go deeper into some of the concepts from the book, all for free. So happy to share that with uh, the first 50 listeners of yours that go there uh, and download that. And then you can email me, Mark, with a K, at modernrevenuestrategies.com. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work recently with uh, companies to kind of just help them get their feet underneath them. And, and we've seen some statistics that a company that has a revenue plan uh, is 4x more successful than those companies that don't. Uh, and so rather than, you know, make it super complicated. We can spend an afternoon, unpack your uh, sort of highest priority objectives, where you're going to see the biggest return on investment, put together a 90-day revenue plan that can uh, sort of get you there in those next 90 days uh, for companies. And like I said, most of our clients see about a 10x ROI within the first six months of working with us. Mark, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Enjoyed our conversation, Chris. And of course, thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and grow. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay connected.